Hi, everybody, and welcome to AQ's Blog and Grill. We're really excited today to have April Dunford with us. Now, April Dunford is a, well, she's a human hurricane in um, entrepreneurial activities. This woman is the CEO of Sprintly, uh, based in Toronto. She's also been a mentor, an angel investor. She uh, has helped launch uh, six uh, successful uh, startups. And she's also done a lot of work in larger corporations with product launches and, and that sort of thing. So this person, this April Dunford right here, we're gonna meet in a second, is really gonna be great for young entrepreneurs, old entrepreneurs, middle-aged entrepreneurs, because here we go, we're all gonna learn a whole bunch of stuff right here on AQ's Blog and Grill. Hello, April. Hey, how are you doing? <laughs> great, thank you. Now, how was that for an introduction? Oh, that's Great introduction. I love it. Oh. It's off to a good start already here. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well, I know one of the things you're passionate about is positioning. And, uh, you know, we go back to the old recent trout example, but you've updated that. Yeah. So can you help, help us understand what your thinking is on the positioning uh, question? Yeah, you know, so positioning is an interesting one because I remember when I read uh, Rising Trout, you know, back in... Well, actually, it wasn't even in university because I studied engineering until later, you know, I became this marketing person and I thought, my God, I better go learn something about marketing now that I'm doing it. And right. so, you know, I took all these courses and read all the books. And when I first read that book, I was like, oh, this is super important. The thing that's frustrating to me about that book is that it explains what positioning is very well. It doesn't tell you how to do it. Mm -hmm. And the problem with startups is that they don't often, they, they often just don't do it. They assume that their positioning is a given. And in fact, there are all kinds of different ways in almost every product I've ever encountered. There's lots of different ways that you could position it. Um, in fact, I feel like there's, there's sort of four big types of positioning. And again, Rise and Trout don't get into this this much, but you know, there's like the kind of positioning where you're just going to dominate the entire segment the way it is today. And that's great if you're the leader. If you're not the leader, it's hard to do because the leader sort of defines what the segment is and what it's all about, right? If you're Coke, you've, you've already defined what cola is. And if you want to go take on Coke, you better be brown, you better be sweet, you better be bubbly, you know, you better be, you better have caffeine. Like they've already defined that. But then there's all these other kinds of positioning you could do too. You could say, all right, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to carve off a segment of this market and I'm going to be very good at a little piece of it, which is like the dominate a segment positioning. And so I'll give you an example. I worked at a company where we sold CRM software, customer relationship management software. And there were big companies in that space. There were a lot of companies in that space. And we had started out being CRM for everybody. But then we, at one point, we shifted our positioning to say, we're just going to be CRM for investment banks. And it changed everything. It mm -hmm. changed the way customers saw us. It changed who we were competing against. And it made it much easy for us, easier for us to get traction. So that's a sub-segment positioning. Right. Then there's a third one where you say, you know what, we're going to take the market on, head on. But we're going to change the way that you evaluate things in this market because we've got some new special sauce that's going to change the way you think about yes. things. So, for example, I look at the electric car market, right? Electric cars were all about, you know, before, before um, Tesla showed up, electric cars were all about saving the environment and fuel efficiency and things like this. And then Tesla shows up and says, you know what? Electric cars are about luxury. Yeah. Electric about performance, mm -hmm. you're looking at electric cars all wrong. Yeah. So they basically said, oh, we're gonna, we're not gonna 
sub-segment the market. Really, we're just going to tell you there's a different way to think about cars here in general. Right. And then the last way you can do positioning is where you just create an entirely new segment altogether. And you say, you know what, it, 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 I'm throwing out all the boundaries here, and I'm going to come in and say this is completely different. And again, this is easier if you're a bigger company, harder if you're small, but most startups don't get that specific about it. They just say, you know, I'm a database. What else could I be? I'm a database. That's what I am. That's what the thing is. And it's like, well, maybe you are, maybe you're not, right? Very good. So you have a terrific selection of SlideShare. Um, and our viewers should uh, check into April Dunford's uh, SlideShare collection. And, and you talk about the positioning again before we leave this subject. And, and you take a look at the old um, positioning statement, which was, was quite written in marble or granite. Uh, and, and you had to fill in the blanks. And then your comment on that was excellent, which was, how can you make something so important try to live within a, a awkward, awkward, awkward statement? Right. So if you had to express a positioning statement these days, which you say is not a logo, it's not a slogan, it's right. exactly right, what kind of statement would you encourage startup founders to use? Is there a template that you're you're happier with these days? Yeah, I'm like, I'm like really against, like I've never used that, you, you've been doing this a while, right? Have you ever tried to use that position? Like it's just, it's the worst, right? It's the worst. The first time I was ever forced to use it when I was working at IBM, and I, I literally got in like kind of a yelling match <laughs> with the guy because it just didn't apply. And so, you know, for the viewers, in case you don't know what we're talking about, there's this this positioning statement that you learn in marketing school where it says, our product is a blank for blank that does blank, unlike blank. And, and if you actually went through one of these things, you would end up with this Frankenstein thing that, you know, you couldn't even read this thing or say this thing. It's so horrible. Right. And so... Um, and particularly for a startup, I mean, even if you did the exercise of like, okay, I'll go through and stick all the things in there and do this thing, what you're left with is a thing, and it's like, okay, now what do I do with this? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> but you thanks know, for the effort. <laughs> so basically, each component of that statement is super important, and it deserves to be unpacked, right? So who is our target market? That's really important. And if you don't have a crisp understanding of what that is, then you are going to get into trouble. Yeah. And I guess that's, you know, again, encouraging founders and, and startup CEOs to think about strategy first. They, they seem to want to go right to tactics. Is that what you found? Most of the time what I get is founders will come to me and they'll say, all right, April, I've got all these marketing questions. And the first question will be, well, what do you think about Facebook? ads. <laughs> I'll say, oh, I don't know. Like, what are you selling? Who are you selling it to? How do you get to those people? And, you know, there's all this strategic stuff you have to decide first. And if you get deep on all that stuff, then the tactical stuff is easy, yeah. right? Then if you really understood who you were selling to, what your value was, how those people buy, then it would be obvious whether or not Facebook ads would be appropriate or not, right. the, the harder questions in, in all startups are the questions that Google can't answer, right? Which is, what is the best way to grow my business? What is the best use of my very limited marketing funds? Mm -hmm. uh, these questions are, the, and the only way you can answer that is to deeply understand who is it I'm trying to get in front of? Who are the people that are most likely to buy 
because the value that I provide resonates with them the most. Right. Now, I know you've, you've, given, you've given startups this advice, like, stop trying to sell and help people buy. Right. Yeah. And, and is that one of, the, the, one of your foundation recommendations to, to startups? Because I think they all just want to go out and start selling. Right, right. I really do think it's a shifted mindset, right, to think about the buyer being in control rather than you being in control. Right. And so, and the buyer is trying to find something that works for them. And maybe your thing is the right thing, maybe it's not. Right. Right. And so what's important for you is to think about who are my perfect buyers and, and then those people that I know they're going to be super happy if they get my stuff. How do I help them along the journey to actually, you know, finding out we exist, figuring out that we're the best thing, understanding why we would be the best thing, and then, yeah, making a purchase. Talk, let's chat a little bit about metrics and, and, and what uh, entrepreneurs, uh, startup founders, etc., should be measuring. What are, what are the important things to measure, say, in the first 18 months of a, a startup, once they've started making sales, let's say? From a marketing and sales perspective, like whenever I've been in a product in a company at the very, very early stages, the thing that I'm trying to figure out is have I validated that I understand who it is that I'm going after and how do I find them? Like what are their characteristics? Like are they big companies? Are they small companies? Are they in a certain geography? Do they um, you know, do they use specific tools and that's how I find them? And so you're going to be spending a lot of time, I think, learning about that. Right. And then the next thing is, okay, well, if, I, if, if I figure that out, what's the best way for me to get those folks and bring them through a process um, where they want to buy my stuff? You know, again, I think in the early days, it's about showing that you can do that um, and you can do it in, in a way that makes sense where you say, okay, yep, I validated that these are my folks. I validated this is how they like to buy and this works. Um, if I threw some gasoline on that fire, we'd make a whole lot more money. Right. <laughs> but you don't want to be throwing gasoline on the thing that you don't think works yet. No, that would be that would be a waste. Yeah, that would that be, would be yeah, not a good thing. So tell us a little bit about Sprintly. You're the CEO of, of Sprintly, and and how how did this all get started? Yeah, Sprintly is one of these weird stories. It's not normal, um, <laughs> but it's pretty cool. So. Sprintly was originally founded in 2010 by uh, a friend of mine, Joe Stump, and uh, they raised some money, they grew the business, it got to a certain size, and they sold it. He and I were uh, both asked to speak at a conference maybe six months after he'd sold his last business, and we were at the bar drinking beer, right. talking about businesses we'd like to run and things like that. And he said, you know, I've been thinking about this business that I sold and I'm kind of thinking about buying it back. Ah. It sort of I thought it was a good business and maybe I shouldn't have sold it. Um, but I can't do it on my own. Maybe you'd like to do it with me. He's kind of a techie product guy. I'm more on the marketing and sales side. Um, so we acquired it, which is, again, not usually the way you do these things. Right. Um, we've been running it for a few months now, and it's a lot of fun. It's, it's literally the funnest thing that I've done yet. Right. Sell, uh, it's agile project management software, so, and our positioning is very specific. Right. <laughs> we fit in this niche little spot where 
where uh, we have competitors on the low end of the market, which are just little checklist tools like Trello or Asana. We have competitors on the high end of the market that are giant companies like Atlassian and Pivotal. And we kind of sit in this nice spot in the middle that if you're a startup or a small agency and you need something to manage your development process, uh, we're more full-featured than a checklist, but not so hard to get up and going and so expensive as the high-end stuff. And right. that's kind of where we sit. So, so far you've had this great uh, career. I mean, your, your, your career history is as a home run hitter. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> And you just said this is the funnest thing. I think that's a technical term for you marketing yeah, students, funnest. I, there's a lot of pressure, I think, in being an entrepreneur. It's not an easy job. Right. But at the same time, there are these moments where you're just like, oh, man, like, the thing I do is just the most fun ever. Ah. Now, in one of your profiles, you, you say these are your words to live by. In theory, everything is possible but I live in practice and the road to theory has been washed out. Okay, there's something you, there's something you can unpack for our viewers for us. Yeah, well, you know, this is a thing that I found really interesting, you know, again, coming from engineering. Marketing theory really drove me crazy because it is so irrelevant to what I was doing at right. the time. A lot of the stuff I studied had to do with just pure branding, with outside of a consumer packaged goods context right. is really a completely different beast. I mean, it's not that we don't care about branding, but it's different, yeah. right? And so it's not like engineering where the principles apply. You learn the principles and then you just go and apply them, right? It's marketing theory. You almost need to be, it's almost more interesting in hindsight than it is when you're doing stuff. It's sure. like you go and do it, you figure out what works, and then later you can look back and say, Oh yeah, maybe I was using that thing that I learned in that book. But so little of it seemed to be practical to me. Mm -hmm. And particularly when, you know, you add in the realities of a startup where again, I've got a revenue number to make, I've got people that depend on me, we're moving at a million miles an hour. I don't have time to do, you know, a brand tracking study on this or a sentiment analysis yes. on whatever I'm doing. And Sometimes you just have to make a decision and go and try a bunch of stuff. Try it. And if it fails, okay, it's failed. What did we learn there? Okay, let's try something else. And a lot of the theory just sort of seemed to assume that, one, I had unlimited resources, unlimited people, unlimited money, and unlimited time to figure stuff out. And then I would do this perfect one-shot thing, and then it would just be done. Whereas I think a lot of what we do in marketing, particularly at startups, it's an iterative process. You know, we don't know anything. What worked last week doesn't work now. So we're going to try it. Maybe it's going to work. Maybe it's not. But we'll be learning all the way through, and we'll get better and better as we go along. Right. So how do you feel then about the, the term, whether it's a buzz term or not, growth hacking, as it relates to uh, the startup field? You know, here's the thing. I, a lot of what I see growth hackers do I think is great, right? And I think all smart marketers are doing stuff like that, right? Like we all care about growing revenue. Right, yeah, that's it, yeah. <laughs> but then there's pieces of it, like when growth hacking first got started, um, I was very worried that growth hackers were so concerned with um, moving a metric that didn't, they were overly concerned with moving a metric that didn't necessarily relate to revenue. And that just seemed wrong to me, right. right? Or they would make a giant assumption. So they would say, oh, 
eyeballs on the page. More is better, right? You know, and me coming from B to B, I'm like, no. What if it's all kids and they don't buy? Or what if it's you know, I need I don't need more eyeballs. I need the right eyeballs. Right. Right. Now I think it's getting a bit more mature. Like now we've been doing it for a while, mm -hmm. and now I think that the smart people like me are asking those questions. And so I, you know, I think we're we're getting to a place now where growth hacking has become, you know, what what we've always called lead generation. Right. right? Good. Or sales. Yeah. And and do we care about that? Of course we do. Right. And anything that makes people think that that's cooler and more interesting and something we should be doing great. Right. Well, April, when is your book coming out? I mean, I, I just can't understand why there isn't an April Dunford book out there. What, what's happening there? Yeah. So the book. So, yeah. So I'm writing a book. Um, I'm writing it with uh, a friend of mine, Alistair Crawl. He, uh, he wrote the book Lean Analytics. And we've been having a discussion about positioning and making a kind of a, a more practical guide for positioning for um, startups and Excellent. people that are, are launching something new. And so I don't know when that's going to come out. We're, we've got, we've made some decent progress on it. I would say give us six months. We probably have something to talk about then. Oh, that would be great. You know, I'm not suggesting a title, but Lean and Keen Positioning would be a wonderful <laughs> guidebook to hand out to, to entrepreneurs. So just to wrap up, April, um, I'm going to ask you, what are the three things that you think the startups have to get right about marketing in order for them to be sustainable and successful in the longer term? In other words, be stay-ups and not just startups. Yeah, I think there's a few things. So one, I think, is getting you know really, really targeted on, on what you have that is amazing and different and valuable for your market, right? That's the first thing, right? What makes you different, better, special as an offering? What is that? The next piece of it is who cares about that, right? Not everybody cares about that. So if you can really isolate the people that care a lot about that particular thing, then you've got a good place to start where you can bring those two things together. And then I think the third thing is, um, you know, again, really thinking about when I've got those two pieces, what are the best ways to bring those two pieces together? And what am I doing to learn about how those people like to buy, how those people look at products, how do they find out about products, how do they assess products, and do I know enough about that to be able to make programs that are relevant for those folks? Right. That, that's fabulous advice. April, thanks for joining us today. Okay. Well, thanks very much. Okay. And uh, thanks for joining us today on AQ's Blog and Grill. Tune in later, there'll be lots more great stuff, and thanks again to April Dunford. AQ's Blog and Grill.